This is Tony Brewer. You're listening to Cogitations. Cogitations is the podcast where we think about things, we contemplate them, we turn them over in our minds, and then we discuss them. Daniel chapter 7, verse 28, Daniel writes, Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me, my countenance changed in me, and I kept the matter in my heart. We're not going to keep the matter in our heart. We're going to talk about it. Today, we're going to talk about when life begins. And I'm going to read an article from the Apologetics Press. I believe Dave Miller wrote it. Good to see everybody in the live stream. Thank you so much. The Brewer family is doing well. I just saw Holly Hamilton, Missy Malone, um, some page under I Want to Know More About the Church of Christ. Uh, Diana Merritt Harden, Terry Purdy is here with three people watching on their device. Marie Harris, Christine Woodall, Jenny Blackwell, Deb Mangus, good to see every one of you. Listen, I have a favor. Help us. Be the algorithm for us. Be the notification button. YouTube and Facebook and all that, they're not going to take our material and put it in front of all of our page followers. Uh, Between the the three pages that we have uh, this live stream on, there's probably about 15,000 people. And if you take your if you take whatever you're watching and long press on it and click the and click the uh share button and share it to your timeline on Facebook or anywhere that you're on social media um be sure and do that and that will help Facebook promote our content and share it to people who have similar interests as yourself all right so Jonathan Exum uh so he has a page about knowing more about the Church of Christ that's cool Good to see you, Jonathan. Now, let's get into the meat of our podcast. Uh, Be sure and consider looking at the show notes after this is uh, archived and support me as a podcaster. Be sure to support digitalbiblestudy.org and be sure and interact with all of the the content from Digital Bible Study and Cogitations. Deb Hibbard says, great topic under discussion. Had to restart my computer as it was overheating. I hope it doesn't happen again and I have to shut it down again. Me too, sister. I, I and I, I listen. I, my poor old computer gets so stinking hot. I've got to get another computer, if for nothing else, just to run these live streams and stuff. Because I'm, I'm pushing this one. I think way beyond what the manufacturer says it's able to do. All right, let's get started right in with this uh, from Jeff Miller. I said Dave. It's Jeff Miller, PhD. If the life of the flesh is in the blood. Is conception when life begins? And I would imagine this article is written in response. And I, incidentally, I can't see your comments right now. Uh, I'll I'll let you know when I'm able to see your comments because I do want to adjust your comments. I'm so thankful when you comment, and it really helps the show and, and brings more value and quality to the show when you comment. So thank you very much for that. But uh, before we get into the article, I would say this is probably. Um, in response to the people in the world who think they know the Bible, but who don't believe the Bible is legitimate, will make an argument say, "Well, well, the Bible, you, the Bible itself says the flesh, the life of the flesh is in the blood. That means that whenever it's just uh, an embryo, that is, or whenever it's just uh, conception, there's no blood. The, at least you Christians have to understand that you could you could abort a fetus up until the time where it has its own blood." meaning they're trying to find loopholes for abortion. So this is very interesting, and this is a ethical and moral dilemma that needs to be dealt with. In other words, if somebody brings this up or asks this question, 
when you're talking to them about abortion, don't dismiss it out of hand because a question that you don't deal with is a question that bolsters the uh, other side's position in their mind. So we need to we need to be able to answer things like this. And uh, this is incidentally, this is not a new article. This is from uh, April of 2018. So anyway, about four years old now. Evidently, it's just kind of re-upped itself in the algorithm. All right. Scripture indicates that babies are still human while they are in the womb, and therefore abortion is premeditated murder. The Bible also indicates that conception, i.e. fertilization, the meeting of sperm and egg, marks the point at which a human is formed. On the other hand, Leviticus 17.11 indicates that the life of the flesh is in the blood. A human embryo does not even begin developing blood cells until about 18 days after fertilization, At the heart, and the heart does not begin beating until four days after that. So how could life begin at conception if life is in the blood, which does not even exist until several days after conception? Among others, Two key principles must be used when trying to gather the meaning of a Bible passage before prematurely assigning a meaning to its terms. Carefully consider, one, how the Bible defines its own terms, and two, the context of the passage. Those principles are especially crucial when Scripture speaks of life, for example. Animals and humans are both described in Scripture as having a similar kind of physical life that can die. This kind of life is described as being tied to their breath and blood. But humans, unlike animals, are also described as having completely, a, a completely different kind of life, a soul or spirit, that will exist after we die. Plants are described as having life in a sense, since they can die, John 12, 24, and yet they have no blood. Scripture speaks often of spiritual death which results from one's sin, not his blood loss. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Similarly, it speaks of death in reference to spiritual state of those who have not heard and believed in Jesus. John 5.24. This spiritual death refers to the separation that occurs between humans and God when we fail to obey Him. 2 Thessalonians 1, 9 through, or 6 through 9, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. While scientists disagree about how to define life in the physical sense, they at least agree that a cell, whether it be the simplest cell on the planet, a blood cell, or a zygote, a fertilized cell, a fertilized egg cell, is alive. So they agree that all of those, even without blood, is alive. The chasm between a living cell and non-living matter is so immense that not only has abiogenesis never been observed to occur in nature, neither have scientists been able to artificially give life to non-living matter in a controlled laboratory. And let me give you an Oxford English Dictionary definition of abiogenesis. Abiogenesis is 
the original evolution of life or living organisms from inorganic or inanimate substances. So abiogenesis is basically the phenomenon of getting life from non-life. And it's never been observed, it's never been repeated, even in a controlled lab. A cell, whether or not it is a blood cell, is definitely alive and provides irrefutable evidence of a supernatural being that gave it life. So, in the case of Leviticus 17.11, to what was God referring when he said, the life of the flesh is in the blood? The context of Leviticus 17 clearly precludes those biblical descriptions of life that are referring to spiritual life, as well as the life that plants, insects, and any other living creatures have that do not utilize blood. Leviticus 17 is discussing the kind of life that both humans and certain kind of animals have, verse 13, which further precludes the unique kind of life that only humans have by being made in the image of God and having a soul. The context also also narrows what it means by life to those creatures that currently have blood, i.e., not those creatures that have not yet developed blood cells. Verse 13 delineates the life to which God is referring as any animal or bird that may be eaten. God told Moses that the life of those specific kind of creatures is in their blood. Notice that this is not only to say that life cannot exist in all... Notice, rather, that this is not to say that life cannot exist in all other living creatures, those creatures are not being discussed. God is merely describing the life force of those particular creatures that are currently carrying blood. Their blood was not to be eaten. That said, was God telling Moses that the life and blood of all those creatures that have blood in their bodies are one and the same? If so, then would it not be the case that a blood transfusion would transform humans into a different life? Is it not also the case that there are those who have blood in their veins and even a pumping heart, but without any brain activity and thus are acknowledged to be dead? Merely having blood does not guarantee that a person will live. I'm going to go back and read that last sentence. Is it not also the case that there are those who would have blood in their veins and even a pumping heart, but without any brain activity and and thus are acknowledged to be dead? Is it not the case that people like that exist? Well, obviously it is. So, merely having blood does not guarantee that a person will live, as there are a myriad of ways a person can die without actually losing his blood. One can have blood and still be dead. Does the text contradict such reasoning? No. Notice carefully that Leviticus 17.11 says that the life of the flesh is in its blood. The idea of being conveyed is that if these specific creatures lose their blood, they will die. Blood sustains the life of the creature referred to. Scientists now understand that, a certain po- that at a certain point in the development of a child in the womb, he becomes too large to live without the life-sustaining nourishment provided by transported blood. 
The child is alive before that point, complete with living cells and DNA. But after 22 days, the child's life must be sustained through blood being pumped through its body. The child was alive prior to that point, but blood becomes necessary afterwards to keep him alive when his body has grown large enough to require its life-sustaining properties. Does Leviticus 17 support these discoveries of modern science with regard to the life-sustaining purpose of blood? Amazingly so. In Leviticus 17.14, God's statement to Moses helps clarify what he meant by saying that the life of the flesh is in the blood, for blood is the life of all flesh. Its blood sustains its life is its life, the English Standard Version says. Life is not synonymous with blood. Rather, blood sustains the lives of those specific types of creatures, life which exists separate from blood. Bottom line, Leviticus 17 does not provide support for the contention that life does not begin in a baby in the womb until he has developed red blood cells. Rather, Scripture indicates that a baby is a human life at the point of conception, even though he does not yet have blood or a heart to pump it. At a certain point, the baby will need blood to continue to live, but that does not mean he is not alive before that point. More important, that precious human being in the womb is endowed with a special kind of life that has nothing to do with his blood and which sets him apart from the animal kingdom. A baby has a soul from the moment of his conception, several days before he has blood, and his death will occur, and his death will occur when his soul separates from his physical body, regardless of whether or not he has blood at that point. James chapter 2 verse 26. It is noteworthy that when Adam was brought to life by God, it was not through God injecting him with blood. It was when God, unlike his creative work with the animal kingdom, breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life, making him a living being, Genesis 2 verse 7. That specific life granted to humans by God himself Acts 17.25, 1 Timothy 6.13, must not be extinguished by mankind without express permission from God. The consequences for so doing would be dire indeed. Notice Genesis 9.6, Proverbs 6, 16-19, Revelation 21.8. And of course, the end notes here, there are several sources uh, wherever, whenever, they, uh, whenever he wrote this article. Um, Let me shut this down. Come on now. Now we're back. So, I hope you enjoyed the reading of that article. And the reason I wanted to bring that out is because, you know, the world, Satan knows Scripture, right? Um, Whenever whenever Satan came to tempt Jesus, he used Scripture three times. Um, Of course, Jesus rebutted him with Scripture. So even though Satan knows Scripture, he doesn't know it as well as Jesus. 
The world may know Scripture. They don't know it as well as we do, or they shouldn't. And it is possible to be caught off guard by questions like this. You know, if you're having a conversation or a debate, you know, across the dinner table with your left-wing liberal cousin or uncle or whatever that's visiting the house and you don't see them but three times a year and they talk, start talking about politics, well, abortion is going to come up. And they might well come up with this argument. Well, even you should be okay with aborting a fetus up to 18 days because it's not till 18 days that the blood forms. So on day 17, there's no blood. You ought to be able to abort the fetus for almost two weeks or for a little bit over two weeks. You know, you should be fine with that, right? Well, if you don't know how to answer that, you, you, might, you might hurt the cause. Um, another, another one that I run across that I thought it was really weird and I, I've only, I, I had only heard it, um, as happened, not happenstance. What is it? As a hypothetical, like some people say that because the breath of life was breathed into man and he didn't become a life until he had breath, that a child in the womb that's not breathing is not alive, it's not a person. That insolement happens whenever the baby breathes. Of course, we know that that's the height of foolishness, and that is not what the Bible teaches at all. In fact, um, we have some folks sharing Scripture in the comment section. Deb's, Deb shares the Scripture that I would go to to talk about. Um, in fact, so does Scott Wall. Uh, they share the Scripture that I would go to to debunk that idea. So listen to this. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart, and I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. So, I mean, like, how hard is that really? And that, you know, something just popped into my mind. Uh, Y'all have to find the scripture link reference for me. Um, but do you remember whenever Elizabeth came and told Mary? Nope, nope, nope. Whenever, <laughs> whenever Mary came and told Elizabeth about uh, Jesus being in her womb, John the Baptist, who was not yet the Baptist, the baptizer, um, he he leapt in in uh, Elizabeth's womb. He leapt in his mother's womb. He's six months. So regardless of whether or not the breath is there, you know, whatever leapt, the baby leapt in her it whatever leapt in her womb was alive. It had life. In fact, I would say it had personhood because it was experiencing the world, was it not? In fact, you you women that have birthed babies, you know how your baby interacts with your voice, with your husband's voice. Uh, you know how that your baby in the womb interacts with certain stimuli, uh, such as like if you eat something that's, well, I don't know if this would happen to you, but like if, if some people that eat things that are overly spicy, it really agitates the baby. Um, also, if you're sick, if you're worried, the baby knows that. And the baby can feel that. And the baby can flutter and kick and stretch and everything like that. Uh, in fact, a lot of these four-dimensional four sonograms, uh, it is now uh, talked about that babies in the womb can actually self-soothe. You know, they can do things like rub on their earlobe. They can suck their thumb. All of that is self-soothing. 
which, which implies so many things, by the way, that A, there, there's a concept of soothing, being soothed, and they do something, so they, they do something because of it. So that, that implies you know intent, that implies personhood, that implies will, by the way. Number two, it also implies if, if they're sucking their thumb, if they're rubbing their earlobes or something like that, and they're self-soothing, it, 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 it implies that they experience the world around them to the point where they would need soothing. Now, that's amazing. And I think, I think probably culturally we're winning this battle, you know, in the United States of America, at least, uh, Roe versus Wade. Um, was overturned, and the decision on abortion was given to the states. That means the battle, the war, was won on the federal level. So abortion is not is not the law of the land in the United States anymore. Not federally. Now it's given to the states, which means, as as some of these political pundits that I listen to on a daily basis, they which that means that the uh, battle now is switched from the federal to the cultural, it's grassroots now. And, and the battle's not over. We need to fight on behalf of these very innocent uh, babies, the, these most innocent among us. All right, let's, look, let's read this. Um, let's read some comments here. In fact, good to see everybody, and uh, I've already said hi to all that. Um, good deal. Thanks, everybody, for sharing, by the way. Oh, hey, Lewis says, I think some people are still waiting on the other link. Um, I've got, I'm, I am on, hopefully we're, hopefully we're where we're supposed to be. Yeah, we got 17 people on digital Bible study and 13 on, for 13, 13 on YouTube, 17 on Facebook. So, and two in cogitations, by the way, thank you for that. Um, <laughs> Gita, I, this is, this is the real me. This is the real me. Um, all right. Good evening, by the way, Scott Wall. And Brandon Dresner says, I was listening to a podcast that was talking about how sometimes when people have a fertilized egg medically implanted, they typically fertilize a bunch of eggs. And the result of that is that there are millions of fertilized eggs out there and people have to pay for the storage of those eggs. Now, I don't know that people have, I didn't, I didn't know that people had to pay for the storage of those eggs, but that is absolutely right. In fact, that is the that is the main thing that is wrong with in vitro fertilization. In vitro fertilization, in vitro means in the glass. It's Latin. And basically they'll put 10 or 12, maybe 15 uh, in, uh eggs in a in a petri dish or maybe it's one egg per petri dish, I don't know. And they will fertilize 15 embryo uh, and, and get 15 embryos and they will implant, let's say 10 of them and they'll have five as backup and they'll, so they'll implant 10 of them a few of them won't attach and they'll be passed but you might have four or five maybe three or four that will attach and usually whenever somebody's getting in vitro it's because they have a hard time getting pregnant and carrying children to term anyway and what the doctor will do is they'll say okay you have quadruplets and you really we really need to go in and we need to um give you a reduction, a fetus reduction, which means we need to kill two of them because you, 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 you need to carry, you need to carry the two. 
and your body would be, it'd, it'd be better off for you just to have the one. But if you're going to insist on saving as many as possible, uh, out of four, we'll kill two, and you'll have a much better chance of having two healthy babies. And then all the while, these, you know, we've had 15, the five embryos, they, they go on ice. And if you'll Google what's, you know, what is a snow baby, uh, I would imagine you would find a lot of information about the, the, the facilities out there that have just hundreds and hundreds of, there, there, there are probably tens of thousands snow babies, fertilized embryos that are on ice. That is a product of this in vitro fertilization mess. And then, of course, there's some other issues with it as far as, as moral, moral, and ethic, moral, moral and ethical uh, issues to consider. But, yeah, you're exactly right, Brandon. Yeah, blood is the essential ingredient that is needed to sustain life. And Gwen Cooper, I don't know what other link you're waiting on. That, that scares me. I hope, we're, I hope we're everywhere we need to be. And then um, the Jeremiah 1-5 verse that we read about uh, before before you were in your womb, I knew you. Or while you were in your mother, why, come on. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart and I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. All right. Christine Woodall says, uh, great truth can be unraveled by starting with Genesis 25, 21 through 26, which narrates the pre-born and newborn lives of Esau and Jacob. These twins in Rebekah's womb are described not as vague non-entities, nor simply as bits of biological material, nor even as potential lives. No. In the foreknowledge of God, they already possessed identity and significant purpose. They were to become two great leaders. Absolutely. And that's it, Deb. The baby leapt in her womb. Yep, Christine Woodall, the progenitors of two vast nations, Genesis 25, 23. And incidentally, that's Luke chapter 1, verse 41. And it came, I'm reading this from Deb. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And the omniscient God about Jacob and Esau already possessed the foreknowledge of the entire lifespan of those two boys from womb to tomb, he communicated something of it to their mother. Good stuff. Deb says, I was a snow baby born on December 25th. Sorry, I couldn't resist. That's funny. That is funny. All right. Okay, good, Gwen. She said, no, I'm here, but I'm, I, was, I was waiting, but closed out and found you. Yeah, so, yeah, Eric shut the stream down. I don't think he realized he was supposed to leave it up so I could just slide in behind him. Um, and I, I may have got on here a little bit too late anyway. Uh, this is an interesting one. I'm glad Robert Leedy brought this up. The word babe in Luke 141 and Luke 212, it is the same in Greek and English. It is used in one place of a baby in the womb and another of a baby out of the womb. A baby in the womb and out of the womb are both born babies. And then, of course, Psalm 7, 5 through 6 from Scott Wall. For thou art my hope, O Lord God, thou art my trust from my youth. By thee have I been holding up from the womb. Thou art he that took me out of my mother's bowels. My praise shall be continually of thee. All right. Well, listen, folks. The reason I wanted to cover this, and the reason I wanted to talk about it, 
is because my my big rallying cry is let's make sure that we stand for the truth, but we stand intelligently. And let us always be prepared to take these crazy questions and deal with these crazy ethical and moral dilemmas that the world tries to use against us. And don't dismiss these things out of hand. It is very good when people do this, but we have to be ready to give an answer. And I know that we always go to First Peter there, be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh thee. Sanctify the Lord God in thy heart and be ready uh, to give an answer to every man that asketh thee a reason for the hope that is in thee with meekness and fear. You know, I, I spend a lot of time putting that into its context. In the context of the first century, basically what Peter's trying to say is when you're hauled before the magistrate and you have the executioner's sword at your throat, you be ready to give an answer. Are you a Christian or are you not? If you're not, you can live. You can walk out of here. But if you are a Christian, then I'm going to swing away and you, you, better, be, you better be convicted. The answer of a good conscience is I've been baptized into Christ. All right. That's your answer. So you give that answer. You be ready to give that answer that I am saved. Swing away. All right. But there is a general application, which is what we've discussed here tonight. Sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Always be ready. Always to, to give, to answer every man that asketh thee a reason for the hope that is in thee with meekness and fear. I hope I didn't butcher that too badly. But my point is this. If we're not ready for an answer, if we're not ready with an answer, it might just shake our faith. And if we are ready for an answer, it's going to bolster our faith, but it might shake their faith in their worldly, postmodern, materialist, hedonistic mess. We need to double down on the truth, and we need to be prepared. And that's why I love, I love sources like Apologetics Press. This is such a good article. It's such a succinct, very intelligent way to answer this question. It's not berating. It's not condescending. It's not tongue-in-cheek. It's straightforward, to the point, and does it completely and does a good job of it. If the life of the flesh is in the blood, it's conception when life begins. And I would add, really, because that's probably what you It's conception really where life begins if the life is in the blood. Wouldn't you say that that baby in the womb before it has blood isn't a life at all? Well, no. No, it's, it's, it's in the blood. So anyway, folks, that's, that's really all I've got, I hope. And I, I know it's not a, not a very long show, but... It, it didn't. It, it's, it reminds me of the story about the, uh, about the little boy that walked into a blacksmith shop while the blacksmith was uh, forming out horseshoes. And he had a set of horseshoes laying there that had uh, ju- just shy of being red hot. And the little boy walked over and he picked up one of those horseshoes and he shoved it down really quick and dropped it. And the blacksmith chuckled and said, <laughs> Was it hot? And the little boy said, no, sir. Just don't take me very long to look at a horseshoe. So that's kind of the way I feel tonight. Um, it just just don't take me very long to talk about when life begins. So uh, I'm out of material. 
And uh, I appreciate all of your comments and all of your contributions. Um, I hope that you would consider supporting me as a podcaster. Uh, you'll go to the show notes after the show. Whenever this is on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or TuneIn Radio, you'll be able to do that. Uh, the easiest way to support me is www.patreon.com forward slash near churches. But also be sure to support Digital Bible Study. Uh, they That's a really good work, and they do a lot of good. We do a lot of good, I should say. I'm, a, I'm part of Digital Bible Study. And um, as I've said before, you Digital Bible Study folks, you're the cream of the crop. You get more Bible than any group that I know of. Keep it up. Keep it up. Stay firm. Stay strong. And keep doing what you're doing. God bless every one of you. This has been Tony Brewer with Cogitations. Looking forward to the next time I see you. Uh, be sure and subscribe to the podcast. Follow Cogitations on Facebook. Be the algorithm force and share the material. And we'll catch you on the flip side.